with the theme of God's involvement in humanity. God's involvement with his creation. <clears throat> Oftentimes, as we have said, the world thinks that God is way up there somewhere and somehow we miss that God is right here. And last week we, we spoke about God and his plan and God's involvement. And all that God does, he does it for us. And we brought out the point that in Genesis 1, that God dwells in what? Nothingness. God didn't need a heaven. God didn't need an earth. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were there, and in the beginning, there was nothing but God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Didn't need a heaven, didn't need a hell. So what he created, he created for us. For us. And what I want you to continue to see even this week, all that God does in the Christmas story is not so much about him as it is about us, but it takes him to perform it. It takes him to perform it. And what I'm going to do today is going to be a little different than just the Christmas story because we're going to look at three words. <clears throat> and oftentimes, in these three words, we miss the meaning of what God is saying. If I can encourage you sometime, when you're reading the Bible, with certain words, go look up their meaning. Then add the meaning to the text to see if the meaning fits with the text. Or does the meaning of that name or the meaning of that place or that word that God's using, does it impact God's involvement and what God is saying to us? <clears throat> if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We need to understand that there's a huge gulf that lies between man and God, between heaven and earth. And man could never span that gulf in and of himself. Man would never even think of taking the first step. If God would not make us aware of himself, we would never give thought to a God. But because nature itself the sun, the moon. And that's why many, many when we read worship the sun or worship the moon or worship some nature or natural thing because that's what they see and they know they didn't create it. And they worship that thing rather than the one who really did the creating. Man can never span the gulf that is between God and man. And therefore, God does it. God comes to us. And God, what I'm going to show today, historically, has always come to his people. Because his people can't go to him. Because of our sinfulness. 
And God has always been involved. In Luke 1, starting in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, God sent, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary said. And the angel, since I am a virgin. How will this be, she said to the angel. Since I am a virgin. And the angel answered the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. God's involvement. God's involvement in bringing his presence to a lost people. God's involvement in doing what is needful in order to meet your need and my need. God's involvement in his creation. And the Christmas story is a story as we talked about last week was a story that was written before the foundations of this earth was ever laid. It was laid Way before anything was ever created, God already had planned the Christmas story of bringing himself into the life of humanity that he might magnify and glorify himself and reveal himself. If we cannot comprehend God through Jesus Christ, you will not comprehend the person of God. For Jesus said unto Philip in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen who? You've seen the Father. And we need to recognize that. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus also said in 14.7, he simply says in this way, if you really know me, you'll know who? The Father. You'll know the Father. To declare or to magnify or bring out into the open is the word magnify. Magnify is to reveal, to bring it out. But in a very practical, 
demonstration that brings about a result from the people. That when God does something, he's expecting a response from us. When God demonstrates something, he's expecting a response from us. We often forget, and in our culture today, we have forgotten the one who is the living God. But from the very beginning, God has always been involved with his people. From the very beginning. It is God's desire. Stay with me here now. It is God's desire to be involved with us. The question is, do we have a desire to be involved with him? Do we have a desire to be involved with him? It's still true. It really does take two people to fall in love. If one person just loves another person, but the other person doesn't respond, that is a wasted love. It's a hurtful love. But when love is responded to and returns love, it's great. It's great. And that's our God. For as we sing that he first loved us. Because he loved us, we respond with love to him. From the very beginning, God desired to be with us. Now, he demonstrates that through a word that we're going to get into, and, and we're going to see this even with Adam, that we use oftentimes a word called Shekinah glory. It's a clayton word that was brought into the Hebrew language. And the Hebrew language, the Hebrews added to it. The manifestation of God's glory. God with Adam, the scripture says, came and walked with Adam. Talked with Adam. Spent time with Adam. So the scripture says that God came in the cool of the day and he walked. Even that Adam then heard him walking in the garden. So from the very beginning, God's involved with that which he created. God's involved with that that he gave life to. And it says in Genesis 3 that God walked in the garden. And it gives us that picture. And I want us to catch this picture because it's important. 
It never says that Adam or Eve went to heaven to spend time with God, but that God came down and what? Catch that picture. Because that's the picture that takes place thousands of years in Bethlehem. That God came in flesh to dwell with his creation. Catch that picture and stay with me. From that very time, something begins to happen. Adam sins, and God puts him out of the garden. And that's what Brother Dwight was talking about. He puts them out because of their sin. And historically, what we will see scripturally is that God always deal with our sin. But God's word is true. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But the broken fellowship takes place. And what God desires to do in your life and my life is walk with us every day. All day long. But sin causes broken fellowship. And why sometimes we're not conscious of God or his presence is because of the sin that we're involved in. And he's not magnifying himself in that relationship then. But when I'm walking with the Lord, he will magnify himself. He'll talk to me. He'll show me things. He'll do things on my behalf. He'll open doors. He will amazingly step in and reveal his presence. Adam and Eve knew his presence. From that point, we really don't see really God's presence amongst his people, not individual, but amongst his people until we see him leaving Egypt. And he leads them. And then finally, what we see is God's presence is in the tabernacle is in the tabernacle. Go with me to Exodus 40. Go to Exodus 40. Pick up with me in verse 34. The second time. But what it's showing is God's presence. And here's what is also known as the Shekinah glory. And You'll never find the word Shekinah in the Bible. No more than you will find the word Trinity in the Bible. But what you will find is the appearance of the meaning of that word. And oftentimes that word is replaced with the word cloud. Cloud. So in 34 it says, then the cloud covered the tent. God's Shekinah glory. The cloud covered the tent, the tent of meeting that God directed Moses to put together. And what Shekinah means in just the canon's word is simply this, resting place. Or settling place. 
Now stay with me with that word. Settling place. Resting place. Dwelling place. Shekinah. The dwelling place of God. And God said he would come down between the ark. And that there his people will know that he is. And he says this cloud. And, and, and this was not an ordinary cloud. Because the people would follow that cloud by day and follow the fire by night. And it says the cloud came down into the tent of meetings. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meetings because the cloud had settled upon it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I want you to keep that in mind but when we go back to Luke where the Lord speaks of the one called Jesus that he will be great. For his name would, would fill the world. He would be great. And he says that it filled the tabernacle. From that point, when you look at Leviticus 1 and number 1, you find that God spoke to Moses from the tabernacle. No longer from a burning bush, no longer on top of a mountain, but from the tent of meetings, from the tabernacle, God begins now to communicate with Moses and his people. God begins to communicate. God begins to speak. And the Lord spoke from the tent of meeting unto Moses. The third... First with Adam, the tabernacle, the third. Almost 500 years later, Solomon builds the temple, which replaced the tabernacle. But what also set in the temple was the ark. It became the place where they would meet. Go to 2 Chronicles 5 with me. 2 Chronicles 5. Pick up verse 13 with me. Well, let's pick up verse 12. All those who sang and the, and the musicians, they'll like this verse, I think. Catch what it said. All the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, Jadathan, and their sons and relatives, stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen, and playing cymbals, harps, and lyrics, 
They were accompanied by 120 priests, sounding trumpets. The trumpeteers, the singers, joined in unison as with one voice to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by the trumpets and the cymbals and other instruments, they raised their voices in praise to the Lord and said, He is good. We got a song that we sang, He is Good. The second, His love endures forever. He is good. His love endures forever. Then follow you a little closer now. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud. Here's the Shekinah glory again. And the priests could not perform or they could not do their work. And the priests could not perform their services because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. God with Adam. God in the tabernacle. God in the temple. Stay with me. Because see, what we're constantly seeing is this. God being involved with who? With his people. God being involved. God working amongst his people. And then sin came and into captivity with the Babylonians. And the temple destroyed. The temple was rebuilt around 515 B.C. And scripture tells us that the glory returned even greater than what it was. Again, God with his people. And in that temple, one day we find Jesus teaching. God amongst his people. Five centuries later, Jesus Christ with his people, the ones he had given life to, he's with them. Now, as we start into this area, I want to go back into that verse 26 just for a moment. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. How's it important to catch it? God's involvement is that God sent. God sent His Son to be involved in our lives. God sent Him. God's glory is there. God's presence is there. Shekinah in the Hebrew also means literally in that settling habitat, that dwelling. It really means when it boils down to everything is the presence of the living God. The presence of the living God. And here we see his presence, his involvement with his people. 
We use the word Shekinah that is not found, as I said in the Bible, but it is constantly being revealed by that word cloud over and over and over again. Shekinah, the word means resting place. It is the visible symbol of God's presence in the tabernacle. Now, stay with me just for a little bit. Go to Titus 1.12. Titus 1.12. I'm sorry, Titus 2.11. Titus 2.11. Look what the scripture says there. They must be silenced because they are running Ruining whole households. Right there. Two eleven. And I am the wrong one. I'm talking to two eleven. Let me get there. Yes, I'm sorry, I'm reading Titus 1 11. 2.11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has what? Appeared to all men. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. God's involvement, God's involvement. Go over to 1 Timothy 3.16. And stay with me, we get ready to go back over into Luke to be able to tie it all together. He says, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body. He appeared in a body. The King James says, was the same word in which the Hebrew, when they took the word Shekinah, and I said they added to it, the manifestation of God's glory, in King James, it uses the word that he, what? He was manifested, which comes from the same word that they added to the Shekinah glory, the manifestation of God. And in King James, it says that he was manifested in the flesh. In the NIV and others, it says he appeared in the flesh. And here's the glory of God appearing to man. Stay with me. Because as we look at some names, when you go back into Luke, it is stated by the angel unto Mary. In verse 31, he says, you will be with child and give birth to a son and you shall give him the name, what? Jesus. Jesus. There are some folks running around some here, and you'll get into the argument with them about J being in the Greek alphabet or Hebrew alphabet. There is no J. We, we, that's, anyone who reads and studies it knows there was no J. There's a Y. But it's not worth arguing about. But it's worth knowing. Because 
of what it does when you add it into this text. <laughs> that Jesus, in the Greek or Aramaic, is Joshua. And to understand the name of Joshua, Jehovah delivers. Yahweh delivers. And that the angel says you will give him the name Jesus. Don't have the privilege of picking your own son's name. It's given. You will call him Jesus. Jehovah saves. Jehovah delivers. And those who knew that Jesus was being translated back into the Hebrew, Joshua, and that Joshua meant Jehovah delivers or Jehovah saves, they understood what was taking place, that God had come forth to save his people. We just read the name Jesus. I have to go along with what one person said. Jesus in the English really means nothing. But then when you begin to break it down to Joshua and understanding what Joshua meant, Jehovah saves, Jesus saves. And you take the first part of his name, J-E, which is the very beginning part of Jehovah, even into the area where you use the Y. And you take the very last part of it, means deliverance. Jesus delivers. What is he doing? Delivering us from our sin. Who's involved? God is. God is. God is. The name given, Jesus, and it says he will be great. And that he will be called the son of the most high. Jesus. That name is known worldwide. Jesus. And it is a great name. It is a glorious name. And I don't care where you go in the world. That name Jesus is known. It might be pronounced differently. But it boils down to Jesus. And it's Jesus saves. Jehovah saves. Jehovah saves. The name Jesus is the Greek from the Aramaic meaning Yeshua. And sometimes you argue with people about that. But in English it's just Jesus. It's Jesus. The Hebrew meaning of Joshua which means Jehovah delivers or Jehovah saves is the prefix of Yahweh. And the second element of the Hebrew verb, Yeshua, which means to deliver or save or rescue. Yeshua, the second part of Jesus' name. The name Jesus conveys the idea that God delivers his people from sin. From sin. Go over to Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. In verse 21. 
She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now what Matthew adds to, what Luke does not add to, Matthew adds a little bit more the meaning of what Jesus is going to do. He said, because he will save his people from what? Their sin. Then Matthew gives us a little bit more insight about this one that would be called Jesus. Where Luke doesn't, Matthew does. So when we come down just a little bit further, he gives us a little bit more clarification. In the verse 23, he says, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him, what? Emmanuel. Now, right afterward, he gives us the meaning of Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. And what God is declaring to a people of the birth of Jesus Christ is simply this. I've never, 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 never forsook you. From the day I created man, I walked with him in the garden. Even though he sinned, when he sinned and went into captivity, when he went into Egypt, I brought him out of Egypt. And I was there with him in the cloud, in the tabernacle. I was there with him. And then when he built his temple, my presence was there in the temple. And then when they sinned and went into captivity in the Babylon, and when they returned, when I brought them out, they rebuilt the temple, and my presence was there. And then came between Old Testament and New Testament, 400 years of silence, where God did not send a prophet, God did not speak. And the next person that comes on the scene is Jesus. Is Jesus. God himself incarnate in the flesh. In the person of Jesus. But what God is revealing that he has never left his people. Now understand this. We will leave him. He will not leave us. And he's painting that picture. And the important part about him coming now as Jesus is this. Is that he'll never leave us. And when you get into Corinthians chapter 3. And he talks about this being what? The temple. That here now is the dwelling place of God. Here is the resting place of God. Here's where God has came and settled at, right in here, right here. And the Shekinah glory is right in here. The seat where Jesus dwells is right here. There's another name that he picks to use in this text. And I had to ask myself, Lord, why did you pick this name? See, sometimes when I'm reading, me and God just take time to talk. <laughs> and it's the name of Jacob. Now, when you read the text there in Luke 1, 26, and it says he will rule over the house of Jacob. 
Why would he rule over the house of Jacob rather than over the house of Israel? And that became my question. Why Jacob, Lord, rather than Israel? Why Jacob? Because he makes it very clear. He says in verse And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. Lord, why Jacob? Why Jacob? He will rule over this house. I'm always looking to see how scripture connects to scripture, how scripture connects to scripture, because I believe that God sends a continuous thread through his word. You ever take a piece of cloth and you see that string and you start pulling that string? What happened? Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Because it just begins to unravel what? And I believe God's word runs a string which we can hang that puts the whole thing together at times for us. And he uses this name Jacob rather than Israel that he would rule over. The meaning of Israel means to contend with, to wrestle with. And English, it would be to fight with. And when you look at Israel, they were always fighting with who? More with God sometimes than what they were fighting with their enemies. And the word simply means to contend with or wrestle with Israel. And I think God is saying to his people, There's no more fighting. There's no more wrestling by using the word Jacob. Because Jesus breaks that enmity between me and God. And Jesus allows me to step into the Holy of Holies because he has reconciled me to God. And I have peace with God. And we're no longer contentious with each other or wrestling with each other or fact, but I am cooperating with God. Stay with me with the name for a moment. Because in Genesis 22, 38, you see Jacob wrestling with God. And because he wrestles with God, God says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you struggled or wrestled with God. How often do we struggle and wrestle? And sometimes it's not so much with God personally as it is with his principle or his what? His standards. We wrestle and we struggle against how he wants us to live. And we struggle with that because I want to live one way and he wants me to live another way. He, he wants me to talk one way, but I want to use all this profanity at times. 
He, he wants me to be holy, but I'm not quite perfect, and I don't want to be holy, and I want to do a little this, and I want to do a little that. And he says, you struggled with me. You wrestled with me. And when you're wrestling with God and you're really struggling with him personally, you're in Israel. You're in Israel. Because you see, Israel always at contention with God, always struggling with God, wrestling with God. The word Jacob means to take by the heel. Now follow with me. Don't lose me here. It means to grab by the heel. Take by the heel. Esau came out first and Jacob had his heel. Was hanging on to his heel. Stay with me. And you can see that in Genesis 25, 26. And Jacob also carries the meaning of subplanter. The subplanter meaning, as you study out this word a little further, means to be able to take the place of. Say, don't, don't, don't lose me now. To take the place of. Lord, are you saying Jesus will take the place of the God of this world? Are you saying Jesus will become the one that we follow rather than following after the God of this world? And Lord, are you fulfilling in bringing Jesus into this world what you prophesied in Genesis 3.16? Turn with me to Genesis 3.16. Genesis 3.15, not 6.15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and heirs. Listen. Listen to the second part. He will crush your head. Who is he referring to? The devil, to Satan. And you will strike his what? His heel. All Satan can do to Jesus is strike what? The heel. But then it says that Jesus would crush his what? His head. That all Satan can do is maybe touch the heel of Christ. But with that heel, Christ is crushing his head. 
a difference between Jacob and Israel. Using the name Jacob, that he will rule over Jacob. Household. And that household will not struggle with him. But that household would be at peace with him. And that household would crush the head of Satan. He says, Jesus, you will call him Jesus. As you read these stories, really take note of the names and what they mean. Take time and look up the names and study them out and apply them back into the text to see what God is saying. Every time in the Old Testament where there was an altar built, there was a name given to that place. And because there was a name given to that place, there's a story that goes along with that name of what God did of what God did. And God in the Christmas story is telling us the Shekinah glory or the presence of God is here. And I'm going to dwell with my people forevermore. And I'm going to be involved in your lives. And I'm here to deliver you. I'm here to save you. And I'm here. And we're not going to struggle and fight and have contention with each other. Because I've settled that. And we're going to live triumphantly, crushing the head of Satan. It's more than just about the birth of Christ that is being shared with us as Christians is much more, much deeper than we really grab hold of the story and all that God is saying to us in this Christmas story. I love at Christmas time before we open up gifts. We always have somebody in our family. We choose somebody, or I read it. But we read the Christmas story. But if you just zip through the Christmas story, what you talk about is a baby in a manger, Jesus being born. But how much more is in that story? For in that story is golden nuggets. For in that story is the death that God wants us to grab hold of the picture of him. Much more. And we should see that story delivering to us much more than just about a baby in a manger. But a God who wants to be involved in our everyday life. And because he couldn't, because we couldn't come to him, he came to us. We ought to see that. And in that story, we ought to see 
He came to us while we were yet what? Sinners. To be involved with us. And to bring us to himself. There's much in the story. And oftentimes, yes, and not belittle the plays that we have and, and, and Jesus being born in Bethlehem. No, what I'm trying to say is this. Dig into the story. Dig into it. Wrap your arms around it. Just don't go and just read it. Catch the real meaning. Keep digging and asking the Lord, Lord, what are you revealing? What are you showing? What are you saying? In the story of the birth of Christ. Because he has seen so much But you have to dig for it. You know, I like those insurance guys and like those money investors. Now, if you're a money investor, I'm not talking about you. But when you bring those papers there, I better read them. <laughs> and sometimes it's so much reading, you don't want to what? So you ask the guy to do what? Go ahead and explain it to me. <laughs> so he gives you the short version. But once you sign... And you call them and say, well, can I move money from here to there? Can you send me so much money? They'll tell you, well, you need to read what? (laughs) That you get the full understanding of the contract. And God wants us to read the Christmas story to get the full understanding of what it means to us. Amen? I didn't lose anybody today, did I? And I know it's not the normal Christmas story of the text, but those names and that Christianic glory just kind of jumped out. You know, and I went researching Shekinah glory, and I went researching the name of Jesus and Joshua. I went researching then the name of Jacob and Israel. And even discovering, yes, it does mean different things in different languages and how it was added to either the Hebrew or rejected from. I got about a stack of paper like that at home researching these names. But understand this. God at Christmas is saying, I'm involved in your life. I'm involved. I'm involved. Question to you. Will you be involved with him? Will you be involved with him? That's the real question. And how do you get involved with him? Is by accepting him. By accepting him. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God is still saying, I want to be involved in you, but I won't force my way in. If you want to shut the door of your heart, I'm not, going, I'm not going to kick it in. And if you don't want me in there, I'll be out here and I'll just wait for you, but I'm not going nowhere. Hey, I like that story I tell about me and Elaine. 
boy, I would just get angry. I just go down to the Y and spend my little five hours for a room at night. And finally down there, boy, the TV wouldn't work. This wouldn't work. I got a TV at home and it's warm and the bed is comfortable. I came back home and said, never again. I may have to go over to the other bedroom, but my presence will always be in this house. And what God is saying, never wrong being young and foolish for a little bit. But, 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 but the thing is this here. God is saying, I'll be right here. Waiting for you to do what? Open the door of your life. I won't barge in, but I will be a guest. And if you ask me in, I'll come. I'll come. If you ask me in, I'll come. And even when I come into your life, I won't try to show off. I won't try to make you do this or do that. I'm willing to lead you only when you say, Lord, lead. Lord, help me in this. Lord, guide me in this. Lord, order my steps in this. I won't come into your life and just be a dictator. But I'll come into your life and show you love and kindness and gentleness. And I'll wait for you to ask me to perform. And when you ask him, he will. He will. But the first beginning is simply this. Lord, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Be Lord of my life. Be my Savior. And if you ask him to do that, he'll do it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, that you know every heart, every mind in this place today. You know each and every one of us. You know the ones that need you as a Savior. You know those that, Lord, that need you, oh God as Lord of their life. You're there.